if, if we're honest, we know that the church has a bad rep in our culture, right? When people talk about the church, it's usually because um, they've heard something bad about the church or they've heard about something bad that a church leader has done. And that's when it makes the news. For, for a lot of people, when they think of church, they think boring, out of touch, irrelevant, hypocritical. Now, let me ask you this, show of hands. How many of you are here this morning because you want to be boring, out of touch, you know, irrelevant, hypocritical? Anybody? You know? I mean, nobody is here because we want to be boring, hypocritical, all that stuff, right? Why are we here? We're here because we want to be authentic. We want to be real. We want to be passionate. We want to really know God. We want to be touched by God and shaped by God. We're here because we want to love other people. We want to be loved by them. We want to be known by them. We want to know them. We're here because we want to make our lives count for something. Count for something good and beautiful and true and just and right. We're here because somewhere deep inside our soul, we, were, we, we know we were made for something transcendent, something bigger than ourselves. And we're here because we're trying to touch that transcendent, that thing that's bigger than us, that one who is bigger than us, who can do something with us that we cannot do by ourselves. Isn't that why we're here? We're here because we actually believe that there is a God who entered into human history, took on flesh and blood and bone, and lived in this world to reveal the invisible God to us, to make the invisible God visible. We believe there's a God who came to us, lived with us, who knows us, loves us, forgives us, saves us, shapes us, transforms us, and can use us to transform the world. That's why we're here. And we look at the world, and we look at the church, and you know, there are times when the church has really been this. And what we're going to talk about today is the very first church, the church, the early church in Jerusalem. And that was the church. It wasn't a perfect church. As we continue going through Acts, we're going to see they had their problems. They had the issues they had to deal with. But it was a good church. It was an alive church. It was a church full of energy and vitality. And of course, of the first couple of centuries, that church that began, that was birthed in Jerusalem, that church spread throughout the Roman Empire and knocked the Roman Empire on its heels, transformed the way people thought about the good, the true, and the beautiful, and the way they treated the least, the last, and the lost. That church did that, and the church has continued to do that through the generations, through the centuries. So we're part of a long history of the church being the church. Now, a couple things I want to say. A lot of times when people talk about the church today, they talk about buildings. The church is a lot of things, but what it isn't 
is a building. It's not a building. The early church didn't even have buildings, but they were the church. And the church isn't a Sunday worship service. The church participates in Sunday worship service, but it isn't a Sunday worship service. The church isn't just a collection of individuals either. What do I mean by a collection of individuals? Uh, my wife, Les, and I went to see The Great Gatsby Friday night. So we went into the movie theater. There was a collection of individuals. We, had, we shared the same experience. We saw the same movie. We walked in, had the same experience. We walked out. Same experience, but no connection. We weren't connected with the people in the theater. We were just in the same, sharing the same space with them. The church isn't the church when it shares the same space. It isn't the church just because they share the same experience. The church is a community. It's the community of God's people, people redeemed by God. People who share a common vision and a common message and a common mission and who share a common life together. That's the church. So let me read this passage from Acts 2. We saw portions of it on the screen. And then we'll talk about this particular church and what it means for us. So Acts 2, starting with verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, And to the prayers, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what Luke is doing here at the end of chapter two is he's giving us a snapshot of the early church. He's giving us a picture of the early church. We, we get another one in Acts 4, and then again in Acts 5, and you, know, you get just little summary statements, a snapshot. And the way we ought to look at this is Luke is giving us, in a sense, a case study of the early church. It's a case study. It's not a blueprint. It's designed to help us to gain some big picture principles of what the church is supposed to be it's not designed for us to ape their specific practices. Now, why is that? I mean, we have the same Lord, we have the same spirit, we have the same message, we have the same mission, so why not just ape their practices? The reason for that is because we don't have the same context. The world is different now than it was then. And so we have to apply the things that we know, the big principles, we have to apply them in a different way to make sense in a different context. So principles, not practices, necessarily. 
So what are we going? What are the big principles? What do we see here? Well, Acts 2.42 is a summary station, a uh, summary statement. They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Four things. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. So this early church in Jerusalem, this first church, one of the principles we gather from them is that they were a learning church. They wanted to learn. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles talked about Jesus, who he was, what he did, what that meant for them. They talked about the kingdom of God as it was taught to them by Jesus. They, they talked about the mission of the church to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, all of that kind of stuff. They talked about how the Old Testament scriptures found their fulfillment in Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. They filled in the pieces. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, devotion is a strong term. It's not like, it wasn't a hobby for them. It wasn't something they did if they had a little extra time. Devotion means that they were committed to, they were focused on, they were concentrating on, they were giving themselves to, right? And the first thing they gave themselves to was learning. Learning from the apostles about Jesus, about what he'd done, what it meant, how all of it came together. Now the way they devoted themselves to the apostle teachings, they would all go to the temple courts and Peter and probably others of the apostles would stand up and they would just preach and teach for, probably for hours on end in, in the temple courts. And the, and the early church would gather to hear it. And they probably did this, it says they did it every day. Okay? Well, we might not do it the same way, but the big principle about being devoted to learning is key. We have to be people. If we want to grow, if we want to be the church the way Jesus intends the church to be, each of us individually and corporately have to be devoted to learning, studying, thinking about, reflecting on, applying the scriptures. We have to be. Why is that? You know, I, I've read through the Bible probably 20 plus times, beginning in Genesis to Revelation. Why do I do that? Why, why do I keep doing that? It's because there's still so much of it that I haven't seen. I read it, but I haven't seen it. And each time I read it, I see something I didn't see before. There's never going to be a point where I've seen everything in the Scriptures. There's always something new to see, something, that, something new to really grab hold of, to, to wrestle with, to, to, to allow to sink into my soul, so to speak. There's always something new. There's stuff new to see. But you know the big reason that I do it? Isn't just because I want to see new stuff. It's because I need to do this. See, if I don't soak myself in the scriptures, if I don't really bend my mind and my heart and my imagination and my soul into the scriptures, if I don't lean hard into the scriptures, something else is going to shape me. If I don't let God through his word to shape me, something else will. 
and that something else will not be good. It just won't be good. You know, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 19. Those first 19 years of my life, you know, during those first 19 years of my life, sin, you know, really dug some deep pathways, if you will, in my soul. In my thinking, in my imagination, in, in, in my motivation, all of that. Deep pathways. And if I don't let the scriptures continue to soak, marinate my soul day by day by day by day, those pathways, they kind of come up again. They will come up again. I need to be devoted to the scriptures. I need to invest in scripture. I need to let them shape me daily because if they don't, something else will. Let me ask you, what do you want to shape your soul? What do you want to shape your soul? If you don't devote yourself to the scriptures, what do you want to devote yourself to? What do we want to devote ourselves to? We don't devote ourselves to scriptures because it's a nice thing to do. We do it because we need to. It's a necessity. If we want to be the people that God has designed us to be, created us to be, if we want to be the people that deep down our souls we know we can be by God's grace. If we want to be the people that the people around us need us to be. If we want to be the husbands and fathers and parents and friends that they need us to be. So the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means a lot of things. This is why we, we do come to church on a Sunday morning because we want to hear, we want to be exposed to the apostles teach, by gifted teachers like Tom and like Paul and like Noah. Uh, you know, and there are others, in, I'm sure there are others in this, in this congregation God has been gifting to bring the scriptures to us. I'd love to hear Dave Mawson preach. I'd love to hear Liz Joyle preach. I'd love to hear my wife preach because she's a better speaker than I am. She's a better preacher. I'm sure there's some others. That we don't, we're, this is a new church. We don't know each other very well, but as we get to know each other, I expect that God is gonna show us people that he has gifted in incredible ways who can bring the scriptures to us and help us all to learn together. A learning community by God's grace. It was also a worshiping community. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread. Now, breaking of bread it means probably a couple of things. It means that they literally ate together. They, they literally had meals together, which in that culture was a huge deal. It was a very intimate thing. It was an expression of trust and of loyalty and of protection and of hospitality in a much bigger way it was than it is in our culture today. It's not a, it wasn't a casual thing. But it probably also means that they literally broke bread the way Jesus broke bread on the Passover. It's kind of a, a way of saying they celebrated communion together, just like we celebrated communion a couple of minutes ago. They worshiped together. They broke bread together. They reminded themselves of what Jesus had done for them at the cross and the resurrection. And they, and they chose to think about that, to reflect upon it. They broke bread together in communion. It also says that they were filled with awe. 
and that they had glad and sincere hearts. That means that they, that they gave praise to God and they thanked God. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 talks about kind of the, what starts to the slide deep into sin. He says, they neither uh, honored God as God and they did not give thanks to him. When you don't take the time to really reflect on God, to see who he is as God, and to give him the honor and praise and glory due him, what happens? You start to honor something else. And when you don't cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving to God, then you become whiny and ungrateful and self-protective and a whole bunch of other stuff. We also need to be people who worship, worship the right things, the right one. We ought to make that a discipline, if you will. Again, not because God is an egomaniac and he just, you know, he gets ticked off, we don't worship him. It's because if we don't work, God is the greatest good. He's the most beautiful being. If we don't worship, if we don't worship God, we're gonna worship something less than God. Something lesser. We were made to worship the ultimate. We were made to worship God. It's good for our souls. And notice, it didn't say anything in there about, you know, and they gathered, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to worship in a sense of coming together and evaluating the service. When we come together to worship, we come together to worship. We don't come together to evaluate a production or a performance. It's not a production or performance. We come together to focus on the living God who is here in our midst. And when we're focused on God, it really doesn't matter whether, the, whether you know, what the music is like, whether it's good or not so good. It doesn't matter with, whether it's too hot or too cold in the sanctuary. None of that matters. What matters is that God is here. He's made himself available to us and we can experience his presence and give him the honor and the glory and the thanks and the praise that is due him. And when we come in determined to worship, there's nothing that can stop us from worshiping. Later on in Acts, we're going to get to a point where the apostle Paul and a guy named Silas are in prison and they're beat up bad and they're in chains and they worship because none of that matters because they know that God is available to them. And so their surroundings, and their, it just doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that God is here. And you can know him and experience his presence when you turn your eyes to him and to nothing else. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And that word there, fellowship, is a Greek word koinonia. It comes from the uh, word koinos, which means common. It means that they didn't just drink coffee together. It means that they shared a common life together. They shared a common life together. Common in a couple of ways. It means that they shared together in the same realities. 
They share together in the same Lord, as I said, the same message, the same mission, the same Holy Spirit. They, all, they shared that in common. They all had it in common. They shared in together the things they had in common, but it also means that they shared out together out of the overflow of the life that God was producing in them. They shared that out. And so you, you see a number of things in this passage. As you, it says that they, well, it says that there was nobody that had any need because whenever they saw a need, they'd figure out a way to meet it. They'd sell property, they'd sell possessions. They did it, and they didn't do it out of coercion. This isn't communism, where they were forced by the state or by something else to, to, to do this. It, they didn't do it out of peer pressure or out of guilt. They did it because their hearts were alive and overflowing with gratitude and thanks and gladness. They did it because they wanted to, because their hearts had been shaped and changed, transformed. And so they saw needs and they met them. They, they looked at one another and they embraced one another. They, they, and you know, think back to who's in this group now. You remember earlier in Acts from, from last, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from all over the Roman Empire, they're all Jews or people who are God-fearers, open to Judaism, but they, just because, but they were all different. Just like we're all, mo- most of us in here are Americans, but we're all different. And in order to share a common life, you have to forbear one another's differences and really care about one another to go beyond the differences. They shared a common life. And they were a caring fellowship, a caring community. Now that, and again, that means a lot of things. For them, it meant that they, they, they sold property and goods and so forth. They didn't, you know, I mean, they still had their homes. It wasn't that you couldn't have private property. They still met in one another's homes. There was private property, but they sold stuff they didn't need or didn't need as much as they needed to help one another. A bunch of different ways to do that. In my previous church, um, old church, founded in 1828, uh, and it was an old church because there were a lot of older people in it. But there were, you know, there was... You know, some diversity in that church as well. And there were a group of single moms who were sort of part of the church or kind of loosely tied to the church. And so, and you know, it's tough to be a mom, period. It's it's tougher to be a single mom. Uh, All kinds of stuff going on there. There there are a group of older guys, retired, uh, most of them were widowers. And they got together and said, how do we make a difference? And they, with some other folks at church, started something called Single Moms Time Out. And on Wednesday nights, they would get together and invite the single moms and their children. And uh, they'd work together to, to have this common, to cook a common meal. It was usually pretty simple. Other people at church would contribute stuff. And then these older guys would take the kids and they'd read to them and they'd play games with them and so forth, while other people just did something with the moms. They had crafts or they did workshops or they just laughed. They just did something. So, so it was kind of like a, like a date night out for the single moms, except it wasn't a date. And somebody else took care of their kids and fed all of them together. This is a bunch of older, widower guys who were the catalyst for this. Caring. They were a caring group of guys. So that's one way. Um, and then church before that, I was part of a church 
uh, my wife, there was an older couple, Harry and Ebba Downing. When I first came to Worcester, I came to do campus ministry in Worcester. Um, they didn't know me. They, had, they, they, they hadn't even met me before, but they invited me to live with them. So I lived with them several months while I was raising financial support, kind of learning my way around the city. And, and they, they took me in. I lived with them. They fed me. And they became really good friends and, and supporters until the day they died. They bo- they're both dead now. But they didn't just do it for me. Week after week, they would invite people over. Lots of calls would come over, and they would come over for dinner on a, on a Sunday night or a Saturday night, and they'd play games, and, and they just had this huge ministry of hospitality. This older, retired couple who lived very, very modestly and gave away a ton. In fact, they gave away so much that they got audited a bunch of times by the IRS because the IRS did not believe that they were giving away that much money. They did, not, they did not, given their income, they didn't believe that they were giving away that much money. They were the happiest, most glad and sincere people I knew. And I'm so grateful to God for giving me the opportunity to be part of their lives. I'm so grateful they were willing to be part of my life. They invested in me and in Leslie in ways that it would take me a long time to talk about what they've done, what they did for us. I am so grateful to be part of this church because of the fact that you're a caring community. So grateful for the stuff that you guys do, for the homeless, for uh, people in Uganda, children, for uh, just a variety of things. And I'm just so grateful, glad that that's part of the DNA of this church. And I pray that it just continues to grow and overflow. And then they were a witnessing community. They were a witnessing community. You know, one of the things that you hear about so often, which is just, I don't know where it came from because it's stupid. Let me just say, this is stupid. Here's what's stupid. People will often say that faith is meant to be personal and private. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It is. It is meant to be personal. It's never meant to be private. Let me ask you, if I came up with a cure for cancer, all cancers, it would be the most stupid, selfish, cowardly thing. I I can't even, there's a whole string of adjectives yet. If I had the cure for cancer and I didn't share it with everything in my being, That would be so bad, wouldn't it? If I know the living God and I know how you can know the living God, how evil would it be? Let me say, how evil would it be if I didn't share that with you? How selfish and self-absorbed and cowardly and lazy, ungenerous. They were a witnessing community. In fact, they did their worship in public. They didn't have any place else to go, really. But they met in temple courts, and they would preach and have their services in public. And they were glad when people kind of walked by and stopped. Because their faith was personal, but it was not private. It's never meant to be private. 
I pray that, we bec- that our faith becomes more and more and more personal to us and less and less and less private because it's meant to be shared. Good news is for sharing. So, they gave themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. They were intentional about their spiritual life. They were disciplined in it. They were consistent. They lived it out publicly. The the early church was alive with the presence and the power and the beauty and the goodness of God in Christ. And they partnered with God in ways that were just beautiful. And I want to focus, I want to highlight that. They partnered with God. You see, God sent his spirit to them. He gave them his spirit. He gave them his gospel. But he didn't live their spiritual life for them. They still preached in public. They still sold their own possessions. God didn't do that for them. They prayed. God God did pray for them, but he didn't pray their prayers for them. They prayed. He didn't meet for them in each other's homes. They met. God gave them the power, the grace, the message. God did all that for them, with them, but they had their part to play as well. We have our part to play in the world. Now, what I'm talking about, is this something new to to, uh, Journey? No. If any of you have been to a new members class, you've seen this sheet. Here's the vision of Journey. We envision an ethnically diverse, intergenerational family. Family. Family, sharing common life together. Of Christ followers, people who have been caught up in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who believe it and in faith entrust themselves to Jesus and his forgiveness on the cross and to new life in his resurrection, who are worshiping, worshiping, who are growing and serving together in a grace-saturated environment, not a coercive Not a guilt-inducing, but a grace-saturated environment that welcomes seeker and saint alike. Seeker and saint, that's just church language for welcoming people who are kind of exploring who Jesus is, what he's like, what it means to follow him. And saint, people who've already decided that Jesus is everything. He's the treasure. He's the one worth following and the only one. And then our, our... if you will, DNA key verse here at Journey is from Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted in him, strengthened in faith, faith, overflowing with thankfulness. This is another way of saying they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Same theme, just different language. The early church in Jerusalem, as as we get the snapshot from Luke 
in two, Acts 2, 42 to 47, is what we're trying to be here at Journey. All of that. The church has a bad rep. It has a bad rep in our community, in our culture, in our world, sometimes even in the church. And as I said before, the only time these days you hear people talking about the church is when they want to poke fun at it or kind of point out its flaws, right? Wouldn't it be something if the next time you heard people talking about the church, they were saying, man, there's this church in Worcester. This church that's really alive. You go in and you can just kind of feel God there. And when they talk about God, it's like they really know him. And they paint this picture of life that's so much cooler than the life that, that people tend to live. It's so much vi- more vibrant and alive and real. It feels authentic. And, and you know, they don't just talk about it, but they, they live it out. They care about people. There's this church in Worcester who will sell you the shirt off their back, who will give you the shirt off their back. They'll sell their shirt to give you what, you know, you know what I'm saying? There's this church in Worcester that cares about people in need. And there's this church who, who, who they don't care who you are or where you came from. They just kind of wrap their arms around, around you and they say, hey, be part of us. We want to be part of you. They welcome people, all kinds of people. There's a church in Worcester who cares more about you and your life and who you are and what you become, they care more about you than even your family. Wouldn't that be cool? The early church in Jerusalem enjoyed the favor of all the people because that's what they were. And they were because God had poured out his spirit upon them and given them his gospel. They They were because they were filled with his presence and with his truth and they were because they had decided they had devoted to devote themselves to one another and to knowing God and to know him together. They were for all those things. And you know what? We have all those things. We have access to all those things. What the early church was in Jerusalem, we can be in Worcester by the grace of God. It might look a little bit different. But that same dynamic, that same power, that same beauty, that same love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, that same energy and vitality and gladness and joy, by God's grace, we can be that in Worcester. So let's be that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are here in our midst. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you are continuing to save us. You're transforming us by your grace, by your truth, and by your spirit, by your word, and through your people. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us something to do that's worth doing. Thanks, Lord, that you've given us a vision of what we can be that's worth being. And Lord, I pray We pray together today that you would take all of that and press it deep in us today. 
We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a devoted people to you and to one another and to our community, to your honor and glory and praise. Pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.